Looking to create your best self, whether it's good for you lifestyle hacks, smarter ways to supplement, or tasty tips to fuel optimal health, Talk Healthy Today provides you the latest research tools and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy starting today. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I am absolutely in love with doing this podcast. I would be thrilled if you rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the podcast. Now, on to the show. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I just read a fantastic book. It is called Rituals of the Soul, Using the Eight Ancient Principles of Yoga to Create a Modern and Meaningful Life. It is by our wonderful guest, Corey Hahn, who joins us now. Hi, Corey. Hi, thank you for having me. You know, you are amazing. You have ever, I've done interviews for years on yoga and meditation, and my husband's been meditating for 20 years, and he does yoga religiously, and I'm like, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to make myself do it, and I never do. Well, ever since reading your book, I literally, for like a week, I've done like three minutes a day. I know it's not much, but for me, it's a flipping miracle. So thank you. You inspired me. You know, uh, that story of that 10-day retreat which we will get to, so everybody just wait, uh, was like, okay, come on, Lisa, knock it off. You need to just do this. So first of all, thank you for that, and welcome to the show again. I'm thrilled to have you. I would love for you to talk to us a little bit about this. You write, your dreams are illuminating the life path your soul wants to take. Can you expand on that for us? Yeah, Sure. And thank you. I'm glad that you're meditating those three minutes a day because that is a really great start. You know, like we just have to start somewhere. So good on you. But um, yes, I do feel like that. I think that our dreams are the things we most yearn for and we don't always know why or how, and it seems really unexplainable, but that is really where you're supposed to be going. And It could be because, you know, by doing a business, you're going to realize you don't have the confidence to put your face out there for your business. So you're going to find confidence. Or maybe you want to learn to surf because you just need more peace. You need to get in tune with nature and the ocean. It's not ever really about the dream. It's about the path to get there. And so lately, some, some, you know, some of these interviews I'm having are like, you're really living the dream. And I'm like, no, no, no. Yes, this was once a dream, living in Sri Lanka and starting a yoga shell and doing this and that. But this is my reality now. I have new dreams. You know, as soon as you accomplish or find yourself manifesting or metamorphizing, whatever it is, into that dream, there's another one. Unless unless you're enlightened like the Dalai Lama and then you can just kind of retire on this whole spiritual path <laughs> thing. Like, yeah, you just got to keep dreaming and keep going for it as uncomfortable and hard as it is. Yeah. (laughs) Well, how long have you been in Sri Lanka? I've been here right before the pandemic started. So about December, 2019, I got here. I've been doing retreats here for five or six years. So we've been coming and going quite a bit, but we decided to relocate here. And, um, and even that dream is now changing after two years of the pandemic sitting in this village. I'm not so sure this is my dream anymore, you know, (laughs) but yeah. Um, yeah, so we've been here, and uh, my son and I, and, and for the most part, it's it's really lovely, and it's great. Yeah, I bet it's really beautiful, but I'm sure there's challenges, just like anywhere. So many challenges, yes. 
So you're finding yourself in a situation that you dreamed of. But that's the thing. It's like, I think people think, well, when I reach this, everything's great. But life's always throwing stuff at us, right? And that's why meditation and yoga, right, is so important. I also love how you write in the book, humans tend to overthink our way out of uh, intuitive decisions. Oh, we do it all the time. All the reasons that we shouldn't do something. And even oftentimes I find myself talking to people and they, they tell me all the things they don't want. And it's like, we have to go back and really stay focused on what we do want and not just in a manifestation way, but to know what you want, to know what your needs are just because you know, you don't want a toxic partner. So what kind of partner do you want? You know, like you don't want to just go around going, they're toxic. So that's not a match. They're toxic. So they're not a match. You want to say, I want someone who listens to me, who's charismatic, who doesn't overwork or whatever it is. So I think that, um, yeah. And logically, a lot of things, you know, don't make sense. Or intuitively, I should say, things don't always make sense. Why did I want to move to this village in Sri Lanka? That didn't make any sense to anybody. I was living quite fine in, in Bali for five years and we were enjoying it. But something really called me here. And maybe it was this experience of being utterly alone through the pandemic for two years with endless challenges because through this dark night of the soul that it ended up being, you know, there's been an immense growth in me personally, um, as a woman, as a, now a single mother, all these other things. So I do believe that as crazy as the idea seems, you just have to go with it sometimes, especially if you know it's from your soul. Yeah. I was so sad to read about, uh, that when you were 21, that your college boyfriend died unexpectedly. And, that didn't lead you to yoga right away, but you, you talk about, quote, while lying in a bed after completing a yoga nidra meditation, I had an epiphany, a newfound perspective on yoga. What, what was that? What happened? I think it was almost like 15 years later because I was 21 when he died and then I was pregnant. So I was 34 when I had uh, that came. But yeah, I think when I really relaxed my body and I was pregnant at the time, I believe we are highly intuitive when we're pregnant, like we're, we're learning that mom instinct or whatever, you know? <laughs> so this was all starting like, you know, I was heavily spacious in my belly, which is your intuitive chakra. But um, I had this, just this constant reminder of some, something about intuition. And I had really wanted to focus all of my studies on yoga and meditation, on intuition, I just found this intense curiosity to know more. And so I just started researching as if I was writing a college paper, excuse me, about intuition and what's been scientifically proven and what are the things we can do to, to decipher what is intuitive and what is logical. And I really found myself back at the yoga sutras and it was you know, the curiosity definitely led me into what is now the book. And, and it, I found my own methodology to in a way of using yoga through that. And I even found a yoga sutra that said, all um, powers of yoga are leading you to be intuitive. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase that, but it was something like that. And I was like, everything, all of this <laughs> yoga, like every pose, every meditation, all of it is like just to make me intuitive. And then suddenly it was like, I've had this all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> How much you've been approaching it? When you say you had it all wrong, what was your approach to, the, to yoga? 
you do an hour of asana and then you do 30 minutes of apasana meditation. And somehow if you do that every single day, it will just work out. Practice and all is coming is what, you know, Patabi Joy said, one of my gurus, if you will, but one of the, you know, leaders of the lineages that I, I worked through for many years. And so I just thought, just keep practicing. Don't think about it almost, you know, just keep going, keep doing it. And then when I didn't, it was like self-shame, self-shame. You're not doing it. You didn't come to the mat. You're never going to get enlightened. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I think just realizing, oh my God, like I am the guru. I know what I need. And I'm almost 35. I don't need any more Ashtanga of this very physical, like contortionist style yoga anymore. I need things to help me with my real life. You know, I need, I needed more gentle approaches. I needed more restorative. And that's when I found the yoga nidra and really how to work through trauma, work through past, you know, childhood wounds. Like that's what I really needed. And I found a way to bring my yoga practice into all that deep work. So for people who don't know, what is the yoga nidra? So yoga nidra is almost like a hypnosis type of meditation. And practically you go through each part of the body and you just give it some mindful concentration and a byproduct of mindfulness is relaxation. So you're pretty much getting a step-by-step move here, go here, do this. And and your body really is scientifically proven And it's even been so effective that they've adopted it in VA hospitals for helping people to overcome strong traumatic experiences. So it's a um, a PTSD specifically. It's a really helpful way of just calming that nervous system down and, and grounding into the body. And from the body, you can move into deeper layers of consciousness. So it's but it, it's it's really healing is what I found. <laughs> sounds amazing. From what I see, you know, where I live, you have the women with the yoga arms and they go and they do their hour of yoga and they're like super lean. I don't know if they're getting enlightened, but they look really good, right? <laughs> but what's that doing internally? So you have to look deeper. And that's what you've done. And that's why I think your book is so amazing. And one of the things that I thought was so interesting was the whole idea of spaciousness. And you write, busyness, stress, and tension are the first layers of blockages between you and the subtle sensations of your intuition. And you talk about how to create more space. So talk to us about that spaciousness. Yeah. I feel like our biggest hindrance in today in modern life is busyness. We all think, and COVID has changed this for many people in yes. our lives. And so I wrote all that before people really realized how much the spaciousness they got changed their life and was helpful for them. So now I feel mm-hmm. like it's a bit easier for people to kind of get behind and understand, but we just do we stay so busy? We don't even give ourselves an opportunity to know how we feel, what we want, what we need, you know, all the things that are going to help us to actually feel we're moving in the direction we want to go. Instead, we just pick up these societal expectations of us, the nine to five job, and then we get the mortgage, and then we get the car payment, and then we have a kid, and then we have three kids, and it all becomes very massive, and there is no space. And I, you know, constantly, every single step of our life, we can jump into busyness with ease. And even the, mo- the hardest moments in our life, I think that's what we want to do the most. 
um, except for like, I guess the heart, like, uh, I'm going to take that back because when you have grief, that's exactly what it does. It knocks the wind out of you and it says, sit here and you can't like, you don't find the strength to get up. So sometimes I think the, the purpose of grief and is to start us back at the beginning again, you know, um, but other times when maybe you have a lot of anxiety or depression or feelings you don't want to deal with, then we get quite busy to ignore them. And so it's really a healthy thing if we can move into that spaciousness all the time. So we don't have to use grief to knock us off our feet, but we're just doing that as part of our routine to make a little moment for you to figure out what you want and what, you know where you need, what you need. Well, what's so great about the book is you, you give such wonderful practical advice too. You write, there are a few primary considerations to keep in mind when creating your spaciousness rituals, time, posture, relaxation, love, and intuition. You don't have to touch on all of them because I want people to read the book. <laughs> There's so much, but if you can just talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that, you know, when we are so busy and so distracted, we just get caught. We're just on the train, And we don't know where our stop is. We don't know where we're going. We're just on a train. And so really those rituals, I think, will help us to find – I use Marie Kondo a lot in that chapter, actually. And, like, to bring your life back to what brings you joy. You know, and even I talked to a friend the other day, and she was just like, what you want to do is really see how much pleasure you can create in your day if you really want a pleasurable life. And it's just in order to bring anything into your life, there must be room for it to grow. And so in order to get to that joy or to order to get to the calm that you want, anything you want, you're just going to have to have a clean slate for it, an empty canvas to paint your picture on. And I found that, you know, as I relax, I can let go a lot of that busyness. Um, The more I surf, which I really love, and I use this as an example in the book, the more I feel spaciousness. I create time for that. And so it doesn't have to be, sometimes these theories are hard to implement. Like it's like when people tell you all the time, like, just get over it. And you're like, I don't know how. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, just create space. And it's like, okay, well, here are some tips on maybe how to do that. You know, a lot of people have told me after reading the book that they did start by cleaning stuff. Like one of my girlfriends was like, I just decluttered my whole house too. And I was like, great. You know, then you can move on to what else you're going to declutter. Is it your mind? Is your body? Where's the rest of the clutter, you know, and keep moving in that direction. You know, I brought up at the top of the show that retreat you did and that got me to like finally start meditating I just thought, oh my gosh, what a challenge. 10-day silent retreat. And what was it, the third day? They're like, now you're going to start meditating. You're like, what the heck have I been doing for that? You are a great storyteller. Tell us a little bit about that. It's, you know, and the basis of the story was really to get that it's it's a horrible situation when you start meditating. It really is. It's just horrid. And no wonder you only want to do three minutes a day and haven't started for, you know, like it's intense. And um, so what I found was my very first one, I was in India. I was hating everything about it, even though this was to be like the trip of my life and I was going to find all sorts of like wisdom. I was just like fighting with tuk-tuk drivers, hating everything, getting giardia, you know. So I finally just decided to go do this, my first ever uh, 10-day Vipassana meditation. And 
immediately, I don't even know if I tell this in this, in the book, but when I got to the center, I just started panicking and I dropped my bags and I actually left. I walked out and just walked in the village and was like walking in the village crying. And then I just decided to like, okay, you like, this is ridiculous. You need to walk back and like, you know, so I did, I walked back and I sat down and I started doing it, but I found myself finding all these distractions from what I was there to do. I was so worried the whole time that it wasn't working, that I was wasting time. So I'd sit there and I would do what they told me. I mean, luckily you have 12 hours a day of meditating. So despite the fact that I was wasting 10 hours of it, focusing on everyone around me and all the time I was wasting, I wasn't really putting that much time into the (laughs) meditating, but slowly, but surely I, um, every day I got a little bit more into it, but I found I was just making up crap or things from my past were coming back to me. Like I was stuck one day on a Frank Zappa song. I'm not like the biggest Frank Zappa fan. Like, I don't even know why that song was in my head, you know, but like for like two hours, I was like, I can't even remember what song it was. Thank God, you know? And then like the next day it would be like, I can't stand this girl sitting in front of me. And I'm thinking, you'd never even talk to her. Like, what are you doing? You know? (laughs) (laughs) I just realized what a nutter I really am, you know, in ways, but it's the mind that's the nutter. It's the mind that makes us crazy. And it's the mind that created all that misery during the retreat. If I would have walked in and did exactly what he told me and sat there and been able, but my mind has been habitually been picking fights with people and singing Frank Zappa songs and all this unconscious crap is there, you know? So, right. Yes. Well, well, that's why it's so challenging. Cause I always feel like I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. My husband's like, no, it's, you know, because I'll say the whole time I'm supposed to be, and I want to talk about some of the different breathings. I'll try. I like the Zen breathing. I'll be doing the counting. And then I'm thinking about what I have to get for my daughter at the store or my dog blue is crying or what's going on. And then I bring it back. He goes, yeah, that's, I said, I'm constantly just bringing it back. He goes, yeah, that's what it is. It's like, oh, okay. Like if I don't fight it, because thoughts are going to keep coming in. Even the Dalai Lama says, I mean, I use him a lot because like he's the greatest meditator I know really, you know, and I mean, I think, and uh, he's definitely puts himself on that soapbox, you know, (laughs) so like, (laughs) I was just like, if he's still having thoughts, you know, it's, but it is, it's really the lesson of impermanence. But not just the theory of it. Like, sure, I can sit here and tell you about impermanence, but that meditation helps you to live it, to know that everything is changing, to know that that thought is going to pass, this moment is going to pass, this discomfort, my anger at this lady for having a banana when I didn't think that was, you know, okay for her to have a banana at the yoga retreat or whatever. Like, this is all going to go away. It's all just going to pass. And that's the ultimate lesson of this. I like the Zen counting practice. And if you can tell us about that one, I, I found it helped me focus more. And it, yeah, I think it does. I Sometimes I, my first meditation retreat was that Vipassana one. And, and now if someone comes up to me and asks me how they should start meditating, I wouldn't always send them there. Like it's quite unforgiving. It's not the most compassionate. It's if you're like me and you're type A and you really need structure and military, especially in my mid twenties, that was, you know, great for me. Like these are the rules. Yes, <laughs> I, I, need, that. I need the rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously the three minutes, but you know, same for me. And, but now if I was starting later in life, you can do it more compassionately. And I think that the Zen breath counting is one of those ways. And it's really just a way to start 
learning how to concentrate and focus. I am not a doctor. I don't even have much medical training, but I do feel like things like, um, you know, mental, I don't know what to call it, but like ADHD, my family's many people, in my family struggle with ADHD yep. and they put me in that umbrella too. And now my mom's always like, Oh, you, you never did. And I was like, no, I did. I've taught myself. And the Zen breath counting has been one of those tools. I could literally watch how my brain developed and my mind developed concentration because you start the Zen breath counting by simple. So you breathe in one, breathe out one, breathe in two, breathe out two. Eventually the mind's going to go back to that Frank Zappa song at some point and you're going to forget what number you were on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then you just come back to one. And, you know, for years I would bully myself. You only made it to three. What kind of yoga teacher are you? But it's like, be compassionate. That's the nature of the mind to think of everything. That's the purpose of the mind to constantly be thinking. And it will help you to manifest your soul dreams. It will be helpful, but we have to learn to harness it and use it for what it's good for because of all these years of doing all these things that humans have been doing, the mind's gotten a little bit out of control or a lot out of control. So, the, and <laughs> the cool thing about the Zen breath counting too, is they say in the Zen tradition, which I don't know much about that. If once you get to a hundred, once you can count mindfully up to a hundred, you can really manifest anything you want. Wow. So, I mean, I can still barely, after all these years doing many 10-day meditations, I could probably still barely get to 20. You know, it's very difficult, but it is something you can see your number growing. And that to me was like, oh, wow, I'm really actually developing a bit of a, a one-pointed focus. And even if you have to keep going back to one for a while, you're still doing it. Yeah. Right? I mean, yes. I guess instead of feeling like you're failing, like I used yeah. to, that's why I always quit. I'm like, this, nothing's happening. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. I am doing this. I am developing awareness, chapter five. Uh, you write about how in this chapter, the yogis, uh, quote, taught us to feel the depths of ourselves, the parts of us we can't actually see. And I love the ocean uh, metaphor for the human body. Tell us about that. And then we'll jump into feeling deeply and what that means. Well, I'm an avid ocean lover and I have a captain's license with the U.S. Coast Guard. I'm a surfer. I've always loved the ocean. So to me, it was an easy metaphor to um, use that, you know, when the ocean, like here in Sri Lanka, the past 10 days has been crazy storms and the ocean is wild oh, wow. and no one's going in it. Like it's scary. You don't want to go in it. And the body is so similar. You know, when your nervous system is out of whack, when you have pain on your physical body, when everything feels hectic, it's really hard to go inside. But even the storm that was here the past 10 days, if you would have put, maybe there was someone, there's probably a lobster fisherman still out there, I assure you, because he knows that he could put his goggles on and he could go below the surface and the reef's still there, the lobsters are still there, and it's calm. He can still see down there. And so that's really the thing about it is you don't have to jump in and try to feel everything when your mind's completely having a panic attack. Like let's start with those relaxation practices. Let's start with that Zen breath counting and calm the body, calm the surface of the waters. And then you see the picture postcards 
of Sri-, Sri Lanka and everyone's surfing and enjoying the beach and you can go and you can dive in and you can snorkel and you can see what's below. And, and so the body is really the same way. And I think the mysteries of the ocean and the mysteries of the soul are also very similar. And, um, <clears throat> but we must learn to understand ourselves and the best sailors in the world. If you watch like the, the world cup or whatever, um, I mean, those boats are just, you know, it's wild. They're using storms to sail like faster than race cars, you know? And so that's what happens when you deeply understand energy and currents and really the workings of the ocean and you really spend time with it. And so that's what I hope people see that if you get to know yourself that way, you can do and you'll learn your powers too. You'll learn how to, how you feel what you need to heal, which will be also painful like the meditation experience, but ultimately you're healing through that and you're figuring out what you need and what you want. And that's really powerful. That is, you know, you write about a soulful intention practice or for it called Sankalpa. And that's a heartfelt desire or wish. And you, you create your own. The Sankalpa traditionally comes in with the yoga nidra. That's where it was, I think, that's where I was first introduced to Sankalpa. So in that hypnosis type of practice that yoga nidra is, you would usually in the beginning, that's a part of the steps of it, is you would insert this Sankalpa and it's um, it's said as an I am. It's almost an affirmation. And so to me, what the Sankalpa is, is you take a moment, you relax the body and you get ready to deeply relax and release and and open up your consciousness and sense to move within to see how you feel. And when you start the practice with that intention, that I am practice, I, I like to visualize it as a seed that you're planting deep in your unconscious. So for, for many years, I used, I am happy and healthy. And the more that you repeat that and you get relaxed, it kind of soaks in. And then at the end of the practice, you remind yourself of it from this really relaxed state and you kind of everything in your mind and your body moves into that in a very subtle way. And it might sound airy fairy, but man, it's so powerful because you can say I am statements all the time in your mind and it can just cycle there. But when you're deeply relaxing the body and moving into the subconscious and you drop seeds, that's a powerful way to, to implement that whatever you want, I that I am statement, you know, or that intention for yourself. I love how you just said drop seeds. That's <laughs> such a great image. Yeah, I see it like that. And I literally can see it grow from that because it happens fairly quickly. And then I'm always changing my Sankalpas, just in the same way our dreams always change. Like the dream was to move to Sri Lanka. At the time, you know, before I started my business, I wanted to be strong. I am strong. Well, damn, if it didn't happen that I felt pretty strong after I started my business, then I wanted to be calm because business was stressing (laughs) me out. You know, like that's the flow of it. And a lot of times people will say, oh, you're chasing something again. But it's, it's not. I even had a therapy session today and she was like, I don't think so. I think you just know what your needs are and you're going after them. And I was like, thank you. It's not chasing it's sure call it chasing i mean it kind of has a negative connotation on it but it's figuring out what you want and need and making that happen for yourself and many times all we don't even 
start that process until we're retired and then we don't know how, then it's too late, you know, or whatever limitations we put on ourselves. So it's just takes it your life and moves into the present moment. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, I love in uh, the intuition rituals, you write about helping people piece together all the little steps necessary to arrive at the big dream. So each of the principles that I talked about in the book are a skill set and you can work on those as much as you'd like. And when you really understand all eight of those, and that's why I didn't call this a step system, even though it completely is, it is a system and it is a step-by-step system. But if you don't understand the steps, what are you going to do with it? So you really have to work on each of these skill sets. The first one being creating space. The second one being that mindful concentration that we talked about. The next one's learning to feel what you want, what you need, and even it's starting to enter those um, Sankalpas into that. And so the intuition rituals are really taking those three skills that you learn and feeling what, what have you come up with? So what are your dreams? What are you feeling now that this is how the yogis gave us a roadmap to be intuitive, to learn what your soul wants. So now that you've learned those three skills, if you know what you want, let's create rituals so that you can continue understanding what you want every single day and a little bit by doing those three skill sets essentially and regularly. And you're slowly changing the habits of, you know, your spaciousness, your mind and your feeling body. And um, then, you know, the yogis go on on those next chapters to help us to actually, now that you know what you want, it's not always easy from there to get to where you want to be. So that's what those next, that next part of the book is. Yeah, I love how you have these questions. Uh, the who, what, where, excuse me, the who, what, when, where, and why of my dreams. Who? Who inspires me? Who is living something similar to what I want? Who is an example of what I want to become? What? What exactly is it that I want to do? What am I passionate about? What would I feel? What would I like to feel more of in my life? Uh, when? And you go on to when, where, why, and you have visualizations. And I, it's just, I love when you... Ha- you're able to talk about, like you read your book, you learn stuff and they're like, oh, I can put this into action. I like when you have something that can take you to the next step. So you do just, you do such a great job of that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, we, we have to, we have to figure out the rituals. And you know, I'm still like, sometimes these interviews are hard for me because I'm not a guru and I hope that the voice of my, the book is, is not trying to be a guru, but it's just an average girl figuring out what works for her and using, and I did figure out the yoga system and that's incredible, but I mean, it was channeled through my soul. And, um, but even still, I'm still, I just to think outside the box of, things that are, you know, any ritual can work. And I'm still finding new ones. And I'm like, oh, I should have put that in the book. But like, that is life. You know, when you resonate with something, that's all you have to know. Intuition are, truly is all you need to know. So when you, you know, you're, you might find a meditation one day and think like, ah, that's it. Now I'm ready for it. I just needed this type or this style or yoga nidra. Honestly, I just try to get everyone on yoga nidra because it's the easiest form of meditation for me, I'd say to, you know, and, and, and very helpful because it gives you something to do. And so the, you know, these type A militaristic 
personality types like myself, you're, you don't just have to sit there and focus on the nose and get carried away, but you can really do something. And, and so it's finding that resonation more than anything. Yeah. You know, I, I want to talk a little bit about blockages. You write in yoga, our blockages are called kishas? Kleshas. Kleshas, or afflictions, which stop us from seeing things as they truly are. So how do we work with these blockages? Yeah, that's a tricky one, but it is possible. And, you know, as you're there in it, I think you start to see them for what they are. I remember once this big house was offered to me right during the pandemic and I was like, Oh my God, that's just going to exacerbate my loneliness, you know, but it was so perfect for like lockdowns and the lockdowns I knew we were about to go into. And so I was like, I really want a nice house in the jungle with privacy, with a safety fence, but the house is so big and it wasn't that big. I mean, it wasn't, (laughs) but then I saw it for what it was. It was like, this is somehow a fear of being alone. Like, Oh, you got to go take that house. And thank goodness I did, you know, but seeing those blockages is definitely the hardest part, but hopefully, you know, as you realize your dreams and then you start to literally, you can write it out right beside it. Why can't I do this? And look at those five, five clashes. And they're, they're a little bit vague. I think, you know, once you use these things, you get better at it, but like craving and aversion, um, ego, doing something for your ego, yeah, thinking about uh, that misperception, just not even knowing that th- there's a route to get there, you know, like so many of these things could be in the way. And so if you at least go through your list of why you can't manifest your dream, and then you look at these clashes, hopefully at least you start to realize um, maybe what's holding you back from what you really want. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it's, I was thinking about the ego thing, you know, because like I've been doing health media for 20 years and I have a book and I've done this and I was on NPR and I was in, I'm like, how am I not a household name? I was like, okay, are you enjoying what you do? <laughs> yes, I am. Do people listen? Lots of, yes, they do. Okay. So like this whole like seeking celebrity or fame or, you know, filling that void of, of being neglected as a child or, you know, all the stuff that we have, right? And that yeah. can definitely hamper our happiness for sure. And those ego, I mean, God knows I'm still doing egoish things every single day, you know, like, and we all do. Yeah. To be honest, Lisa, I think that we are all here for the same journey and that's to understand our worth. And so naturally it takes us, especially you and I are very similar in that way. Like if I just did this, then I'm worthy, yeah. you know, like if right. I make $60,000 this year, that's good enough for me, you know, or whatever. But then it's just like at the end of the day, I'm like, yeah, I didn't make much money running retreats for five years. Like we traveled the world though. And I have a hundred women surfer friends that have come on trips with me around the world. And I just traveled around with my son in the States. And what do you know if they weren't putting me up in their houses this time, you know? And so I just think what, why did I tell myself all my success was going to come from that money? Or even more recently from my marriage, like as soon as my husband said he was leaving me, like it's been a big journey to find my worth and not to feel completely rejected from that, you know, and to see my codependency in a real light and just to be like, okay, well, I did a lot of things for ego to realize that um, there's still a wound there and it's a worthiness wound. And so we can't always help 
that we do things for ego. And, and some things aren't like this book. I keep telling people, maybe it started with ego, but there is no ego left in this book whatsoever. By the time you have written and done the book, the ego is long gone. You've just received like a hundred rejection letters. And like, you know what I mean? Like, this is <laughs> yeah. not an ego back, like good process here. It's so you know, it, it tears the ego apart, if anything. Um, but other things, business, relationships, social scenes, all that very much has been used to, you know, find worth. If this person loves me, if I'm invited to that party, then I must be something special. But you're a soul. That's what's special about you. But God, even, you know, the other day I had a massage and she literally put her hand on my heart and was like, you're special because you're a soul. And she repeated it like 10 times and she doesn't know anything about me. And I was just like, Oh wow. That's really powerful because I feel like that is our human journey is really realizing that the sacredness of it, the sacredness of this experience and to let all the stupid, I mean, it's not stupid. It's humanness. Let all the humanness go. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because when I first got the book, Rituals of the Soul, Using the Eight Ancient Principles of Yoga to Create a Modern and Meaningful Life, even though it said the ancient principles of yoga, I think in your mind, you're like, oh, wait, where's where's the poses? I barely do it anymore. Like, I don't ever practice an hour unless I go to a class and like, literally someone's guiding me. But if I'm guiding myself, I usually find I just need other things. And maybe two poses, even, you know, lately I felt like my nervous system has been really low and I've come, I was in the States and really thoroughly enjoyed myself and being around family and friends again. And then I came back here and I feel like my nervous system was just like not having it. And so I've really, even after that massage, she sensed it too. That's why I had the massage actually. And then she said, I just would like for you to do child's pose for 20 minutes every day. And I was thinking like, okay. I think I needed that. You know, I, I think this is really helpful. This is yoga therapy. This is how to regenerate my chi and like, you know what I mean? So yeah. use it as needed. Like if you want to feel stronger or confident, like it took me maybe 10 years of doing a very strong type. I mean, my arms look great, you know, like, I mean, they still look great because I'm a surfer, but like, <laughs> not to sound like too, too uh, vain or anything, but like, I just don't need that. I do other physical things. In fact, these days I do like, I'd rather do wild dancing for 30 minutes and no like structured poses, but, um, because that's what I need to feel better. I just need a release. I don't need to follow. I, I learned discipline from that, you know, from that time on the mat. And maybe a, some people need that discipline or you go to a class, your body's definitely going to create space by doing that in your mind as well. So it is a good starting point because it is so much focused on the physical, but that's, that's one of 200 sutras explaining yoga. So if there's a rule book, that's one of 200. And actually the only thing it says about postures or asana at all is get comfortable and steady. And I swear that all the gurus back when, or the sages and these enlightened beings that when Patanjali wrote this ancient text, I swear all they did said is come and sit down and get comfortable. Cause I'm about to teach you yoga. You know what I mean? And from that, we've got Ashtanga, Anusara, Iyengar, Hatha, Yin, like, no, it was just pretty much come and get comfortable. 
and let me explain how to help yourself. You know, that is the focus. Corey, there, we talked about a lot. There's still so much more in the book. And that's why, again, people have got to get this book, Rituals of the Soul Using the Eight Ancient Practices of Yoga to Create a Modern and Meaningful Life. Was there something that we you were hoping we'd touch on that we didn't, that, that you'd want to talk about before we go? Um, you know, I think just one thing that I'm, my new passion, I guess my new sure. dream is to really put it out there how hard it is, though. To normalize the anger and the sadness and the depression and the anxiety. Because all these interviews that I have are like, you really know how to live your dreams, don't you? And I'm just like, do you just see palm trees? Because I see anxiety. I have, you know, like going through a divorce, writing a book. Like, this has been anything but a dream. But yes, keep your eye on the dream, but normalize the struggle that is life, that is our humanness. And to not read this book and think, oh, she's got it all figured out because I don't. None of us do. It's the biggest hypocrisy. And if someone says they have it all together, they are distracted. You know, they don't. Like, they just don't even know. It's like, we, we, I hope we can normalize, like, especially as mental health is just deteriorating on a world level, that we are all collectively feeling this intensity and, and to just say this is okay it's all okay you know you're just fabulous next time you come to the states you have a place to stay first of all and uh because i i would love to meet you in person Corey, tell us all the ways we can find you in your fantastic book okay thank you well the book is pretty easy to find google it and it, in most countries and in most forms digital paperback um, audio i'm so I, the universe has fully supported this project in a million ways um so that's um, incredible. And thank you for everyone. There's a train if you can hear it. But also I have a website, Santosha Society, and I have a free meditations on there. And there, I have a seven-day free program, actually, which might be um, fun for you, Lisa. And they're, they're all less than 10 minutes. And it guides you through each of these steps or these principles. And it kind of gives you an introduction to my style and my methodology. But there's lots of free and paid programs on there. And um, I do love rambling on Instagram and sharing stories of my son. So that's always another one. Either my name or Santosha Society. There's two accounts Can on there. Can you spell that? The Santosha? Just make sure. Yes, S-A-N-T-O-S-H-A. And that actually means contentment in uh, Sanskrit. So it's a contentment society, but Santosha society. Yes. I love that. Corey, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Yeah, thank you too, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Talk Healthy Today. Please do rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And also, if you want some behind the scenes on Talk Healthy Today or a chance monthly to win my book, Clean Eating Dirty Sex, which is a memoir, cookbook, healthy lifestyle guide, it's the title is just a play on words, please go to www.lisadavismph.com. Sign up for my newsletter. And once a month, you'll be getting some great information as well as being entered into a contest to win my book. So again, go to www.lisadavismph.com. Get more on Talk Healthy Today and keep coming back. There's always great information. Thank you.